Counselor Accents Podcast. Two school counselors who love their jobs. Oh, and they happen to have Southern accents too. Bless their hearts. I'm Laura Rankhorn. And I'm Kim Crumbly. And together we are Counselor Accents. Laura, you are looking lovely as ever. Well, thank you. I got a haircut, as did you. As did I. I got me a little doopity doo. I have got a full on short bob. It literally looks no different than your hair normally looks. I feel that's what hurts my feelings. I, it doesn't matter if my hair is hanging past my waist or if it's being too, cut two inches. Nobody notices. Yeah. I will say yours looks lovely. Well, thank you. I did get it cut. I have a lot of trouble getting a haircut these days. I don't know. It's my schedule and the person who cuts my hair, her schedule. So I actually had to go to Ulta. You had such success with the eyebrow incident of 2019. Absolutely. If Ulta can do that to your eyebrows, what can they do to your hair? And how was that experience? Because that's weird. What? That I went to Ulta? It was. I really thought you were kidding. Say enough great things about my experience at Ulta. First of all, I was able to go online and schedule my appointment instead of like one hey, of when can you do I gotcha. Okay. One of my frustrations is always having to like I always call and ask for my person and they're like, she's not here, which is one of the reasons why I had to go to Ulta. Like when I think about, oh gosh, I need a haircut. I'm looking like Crystal Gale. Then it's always a Monday. Well, they're not open on Monday. So then I'll remember to call on Tuesday. It's her birthday. She's not working today because it's her birthday. And always the same voice, no matter whose voice you're doing. It's always like, please. It's her birthday. So it's her birthday. I was pleasantly surprised when I could go onto the Ulta website and just pick like what time tomorrow works for you. I don't care who does it. You're like, I don't care. I don't care. We're so low. And that's kind of what I told the girl. But it was really funny because she was washing my hair and she said, do you color your hair? And I started laughing. I was like, you tell me, do I color my hair? (laughs) I said, well, I said, yeah. Um, I said, from time to time, I color it with a Sharpie. Sometimes I use eyeshadow. (laughs) Sometimes I carry on if you can't find anything else. Whatever. And so spray paint, black spray paint. I've done that. I said, as you may notice, um, I did it really quickly. I just touched up the roots last time. I said, and you may notice that some areas are darker than others. That'd be a good activity for us. We're going away this week. That would be a good activity for you to color my hair while we're going. I will. And as you know, I don't have to color my hair. My hair is a naturally gorgeous color. But let me just say this. My mother cuts my hair generally. But I went rogue and and actually went to the, in the South, we say beauty shop. Yeah. I wanted the beauty shop experience. So I went to the beauty shop and it's a whole thing. That's hurtful because I've cut your hair too. And I feel like your mother and Various people have cut my hair, but mother may have been a little hurt that I went to the beauty shop. But... She she usually she gets hers in. Let me just say she'll come at me with scissors in half a second. In half a second. Well, how about this? I didn't go in the beauty shop experience. While we're gone, you can color my hair and I will cut your hair. Deal. <laughs> Deal. And I love the way you cut hair. It's just like I look at a picture and I'll say, Hey, look at this on Pinterest. Can my hair do this? Zip, 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 zip. It will now. <laughs> and does it? One for that one picture. Laura, you are in for a treat today. I am excited. You know, this is a two-timer. It's like SNL, like yeah. uh, who who has hosted SNL the most. Well, she's been on twice. She's our Steve Martin. She's our Steve Martin. There's only been a couple who have. But she is, it's always different. She's got, she's always learning and doing different things. And she's really uh, such, she's such a joy. Pardon the pun. So uh, I hope you enjoy. I am Kim Crumbly, and I am happy to say Laura Rancourt is not here with me. It is the Kim Crumbly Show. 
Uh, welcome to Counselor Accents, and I am especially happy because I have one of my favorite people in the whole world. She's one of the few guests that we've had on that has come back for a second round. She is an amazing speaker, um, one of the most amazing speakers I've ever heard, and I've heard a lot, but um, her name is Joy Winchester. Uh, so proud that she's a fellow Alabamian. Uh, and she is an amazing um, human and amazing advocate for our students and their needs and really helps educators. Uh, she did a something for me with my teacher, with our teachers here at the school, fellow colleagues. And we still joy talk about some of the things that that you that you shared with us. So we're still calling each other heifer, and I'll explain a little bit about that in just a second. We still are, are allowed to say heifer to one another. So, Joy, go ahead and tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, and anything you want to share so that our listeners can kind of get to know you a little bit. So I am uh, a very blessed. <laughs> I, I love my job. Um, it's not an occupation. It's an occupation. So I'm I'm extremely um, lucky to wake up every day and do what I love to do. Um, so I really don't work. Um, and then, of course, uh, I, I get to do it on the weekends, too, for free. So a lot of times I'll do trainings with churches or with family uh, groups. Um, actually we have just started a, a new pilot where I am, uh, offering classes on neuroscience and brain development to women in rehab, um, who are looking to either be reintroduced to their children or to, um, they have just gotten custody back. And that has been probably the most fulfilling, um, position, but what do I do for real? Um, I work for the department of early childhood and we support birth through eight initiatives. And then also I support K-12 in understanding the educational neuroscience behind change. Like how did the brain optimally learn? Right. Um, those those sort of pieces. We also um, work with challenging behaviors. So we have Alabama first class pre-K and I support 26,000 of the four-year-olds in the state. So when challenging behaviors arise, we have a team that goes out and I direct uh, that team. And then we also implement statewide conscious discipline. So we have our hands in a lot of things. I probably have an ADHD diagnosis, but never got it figured out. So I like to stay busy. But there's so much need right now for understanding. Uh, we call it understanding the brain to understand behavior and just understanding how our teachers are, um, understanding where we are in this world. It's pretty tough. It's a pretty hard thing um, to, to wrap our head around. So that's what I do in a teeny tiny nutshell. Um, but Is that all, Joy? How embarrassing. How embarrassing. <laughs> Yep, you do all that and more, and I can vouch for that. Uh, it's amazing. Uh, I'm always interested, Joy. This is just me talking. I'm always interested that you have that hand in that that uh, early childhood component because I really have no idea. And this is just me. This is your life. You do as God directs you. But I have no idea why you are not full time behavior uh, going into the schools and educating educators on what to do for behavior. It. To me, that is, I haven't got to see you really in action, but I know that's what you're doing with the little ones. But I just, I think every school now needs a behavior interventionist, a therapist, uh, uh, because there's, there is such a need and we are at such a loss as to what to do with these students. And that's really why we had you come on before. Uh, that's today. But that's really why I wanted you to come and talk to the teachers before the school started, the school year started, because it started unraveling for us big time last year. Did you find that to be true everywhere that that for some reason there seemed to be, and we've talked about it on this show, we've talked about during the height of the pandemic, it was almost as if students were in a dulled, lulled state. We didn't have any issues. I meant it was we got we were in our separate spaces and we got to our space and we were quiet. They we had no bus problems. We had no, and then we we would talk about almost like 
we had never seen students like we're in a tornado uh, warning situation and we were loading kids into their cars and they were just calmly like it was just another day. It was almost like their trauma brain was just had them in this remote control state. And then, boy, when they came alive, did they ever. So talk to me about why that is. And is that everywhere? It is everywhere. And and just a side note, I'm in early childhood because I'm selfish. And 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 the reason is, is if I can fix the littles, it's going to make y'all's job so much easier. When a child is born, their brain is 33% the size it will be uh, when they're an adult. And by the time they're five, it's 95%. So what happens birth to five truly is the foundation for what's going to happen that we're going to build upon for the rest of their life. Um, plus, when you're trying to shift behaviors, it is so much easier to do it eight and under. Um, you get that middle school piece and it, it's a little bit harder. It's that challenge is a little bit more. So, but we wow. are. Yeah. That, that right there. I could just sit on that nugget of information. Oh, yeah. yeah, that's amazing. I mean, that is amazing. And you're absolutely right. Um, we yeah. need to, to, to to put efforts there. You're absolutely right. Okay, go ahead. I had to, to just say, wow. Okay. Oh yeah. If we can grab them little, <laughs> it, it is so interesting because um, the brain is pattern seeking, right? And so if I can shift their patterns and get them to see a new pattern, they, they're, it's almost like putting a hand in wet concrete. Um, once they're past that age of eight, it's still there. Neuroplasticity is there to the day you die, but it's not as easy. And so the handprint is not, and that's why early childhood uh, teachers are so important. Mm. Every teacher is important, but early childhood, especially because it is such a time for that neuroplasticity, that brain to be molded. But we are seeing what you're talking about everywhere. And what we're seeing is behaviors that are bigger. <laughs> so in the past, we might have had defiance. Now we have defiance and explosive. Um, we have kids disconnected. We have a, teachers disconnected. Um, we have bigger behaviors and more intense behaviors that are lasting longer. Um, it, it truly is one that I think I'm seeing uh, I've got friends in other states that are telling me, they're like, Joy, we've never seen anything like this. It, it truly is one where it's like, what's going on? Why, why is this here? And, you know, there's lots of reasons. I am a firm believer. Um, and I have, this is what I found working with kids is that a lot of times children are the barometers for the adults in our world, right? And so they can't say, excuse me, Miss Joy, you seem stressed today. Would you like to talk about it? Instead, they will come in. They feel your stress. Their stress rises. And then it becomes a, what I call a cortisol dance, right? And so I talk a lot about this where I was working with a teacher and she said, listen, if he comes to school today and he's in a SpongeBob shirt, it's going to be a bad day. <laughs> Bless him. The little boy got out of the car in a SpongeBob shirt. Woo! And she went, here we go. Her entire body in language changed. And he looked at her and she looked at him. She goes, we're going to have a good day today, right? The way she said it, he immediately shifted. And you could tell in his brain, he was like, oh, yeah, it's going to be a day. Uh -huh. He was ready because he read her. And yeah. this is normal. Humans are biologically wired to connect to each other. You can't stop it. This is why if you're sitting down and someone sits beside you and they're angry, you causes you to look at them and say, hey, you OK? If you don't know them, you'll actually feel the discomfort. And this is very important. This is survival because our brain is survival oriented is in the primitive days. If I'm sitting near a fire with my tribe member and I'm facing one way and she's facing another and she sees the saber tooth tiger coming and goes, and I, right, don't see it. But as soon as I feel her go, I'm immediately going to go, what? That's how we stayed alive. We had to be connected. Our connections kept us, but that means stress is contagious. 
Mm. It was necessary in the old days. Now stress is contagious. We all, you hear this negative feelings are contagious. So when you're looking at our country, when you're looking at our state, when you're looking at where we are, we know that we're in a constant state of stress. And in fact, there's some new evidence out. I was just reading something from the University of Georgia that the pandemic is a collective trauma. And a collective trauma is something pretty impressive that none of us have been through. Um, I, I joke and say this is my first pandemic. I know I look like it, but I went around for the Black Plague. This is still <laughs> my first pandemic. I'm still trying to figure this this nightmare out. I walk into some schools and I'm told, "Excuse me, Miss Winchester, we don't wear masks here. It scares the children." And I walk into other schools and I'm told, "Excuse me, Miss Winchester." We wear masks here. It's cold and flu season. So even with me walking into a school, I've got a mask in my pocket. <laughs> you know, <laughs> do I wear it? Do I not? What's what? Someone will greet me at the door and tell me the protocol because depending on what culture or what's you know what group of people I'm walking into, I want to be respectful. And it's very fascinating to me how even that little thing can create that instability. Now, here's what I know. We talked about with your teachers is that. The work of Dr. Lupian says stress is broken down into four things. If it's novel, new, if it's unpredictable, right? If it's a threat to self and if it's sense of control is low. Nuts, N-U-T-S, novel, (laughs) unpredictable, a threat, and the sense of control is low. If those four elements are there, you're under stress. We've been there since March 13th, 2020. The pandemic is new and every day it's new. Oh, there's a new variant that just emerged, XBB Omicron. What? (laughs) What does that mean? You know, you never know when you open your news feed. What? It's unpredictable. Don't wear a mask. You don't need a mask. Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Yeah, yeah, you do need a mask. Oh, by the way, it's so unpredictable that now we have an immunity gap which is why the flu is kicking our tail so bad because for two years we wore masks, but now we don't need to wear masks. And you're going, look, I love science and I barely can't stand to read some of this stuff coming out because I'm like, pick something. Yeah, <laughs> It's a threat. And we know it's, it's still, um, people are dying from COVID still and their sense of control is low. I can't tell you how many times my husband has said, I just want this to go away. I just want this to go away. And I'm like, I know. I mean, it's it's hard. It, and when you have those four elements, those that stress is there. Now, as a society, when it's a collective trauma, that's that's the key for the counselors in the group. That collective trauma piece. Because when one person goes through trauma, I've got a community around me that can support me and carry me through it, right? Now we're in a collective trauma. Now the person next to me, I'm I'm not doing okay because I lost my family member to COVID. I think everyone should wear a mask. And I'm sitting next to you who thinks COVID is just a cold. Now I'm going to get angry. You're going to feel that. You're going to get angry. And it creates this constant reactive society that we're in. It's fascinating when you look at it and, and see how people are reacting we are not responsive. And I think that's what we're missing. We were a responsive society as a whole before the pandemic. Now we're a reactive society as a whole. Now it's this fear of what's coming next. I think that is where we're seeing the children are so reactive because the world is getting more reactive. They're literally looking at their brains are saying, hey, listen, to survive, get ready. And their little brains are going, wait, get ready for what? I don't know. Just get ready. And there, and then when the teacher or someone bumps them in the hall, when someone says, hey, where's your homework? And you forgot instead of owning it, you get explosive. You didn't tell me I had homework. What are you talking about? I hate you. Right. And then you got a teacher going, I don't need to be disrespected by you. And then the kid's like, well, I don't even need to be here. And you get in this dance and it's like, whoa, (laughs) what is happening? I was called to work with a child who the day before I got there, it took two administrators and two teachers and a coach to chase the child down for 30 minutes. They couldn't catch just runner, runner, the runners. Mm -hmm. And she just 
fight, flight, or freeze, go. And so the day I got there, it was the next day. And um, the teacher told her to get her book bag out, to get her work out. And she, no, threw the chair and she ran to the door. And <laughs> immediately all the adults are like, we got to, I said, what are you doing? And they're like, well, we got to go get her. You're engaging her. You're engaging in the flight, right? You're basically, your body is telling her, let's run. And she's going, run where? And yeah. all I said to her in a very calm voice was, stop. I used her name and her body stopped for a second. Just a second. That's all I need is a second. I don't need a lot. I don't need eye contact. I don't need a lot. <laughs> and as soon as I saw her stop, I said, turn to me, take one baby step. And she turned and she's not looking. And she took that much of a step towards me. Just that mm -hmm. much. Mm -hmm. And I entirely changed. I was like, you did it. What? You did it. You took a baby step. Can you take another? And she got this big smile and she's like, what? I'm like, you, you did the hardest thing. All I was doing, creating a new pattern her brain had never seen before because all the other adults in her life had reacted instead yeah. of responded and didn't tell the brain what it wanted the brain to do. The second thing I did was brought in humor. When you bring in humor, you can de-escalate so much quicker. And that is what you saw. And then she started walking to me and I took her hand. I was like, I could not believe you did it. You took the babyest of baby steps and we were just laughing about it. I said, now, listen, when you get angry, you can't run. What are we going to do instead? And then we were able to talk through some solutions so she doesn't feel like she has just a flight to run away. Now, here's the hard part, Kim. And this is what is so hard for me is when I train teachers, when I model in classrooms, when I work with teachers in classrooms, a lot of times teachers will say, yes, I want to do this. This is the best idea ever. Or I want to try, Joy. I want to try. I want to do this. Okay. I do it too, right? I go to a conference. Yeah. I get to an amazing training. I write down everything I'm going to do. I come home and I don't change. Yeah. Something humans have. And a lot of times I get called in to work with resistant teachers. Yeah. I've yet to meet a resistant teacher. I've met overwhelmed teachers. I've met tired teachers, but yet to meet a resistant teacher. And a lot of what we find is that the human brain is wired to resist change. And in fact, we call it immunity to change. It's, it's a fascinating thing. And, and in real life, let's come outside of the ed world. They um, researched cardiology patients and they told them, they said, listen, if you change your diet, if you change your diet, that's it. Um, you have a year to live. But if you change your diet, your life expectancy will increase. Now, every one of those people were bound and determined to change their diet. Sure. Yeah. But only one in seven did. Mm. So why is even death not a reason to change? Right. So you, mm. when you wanted to say, Joy, I want to be a more responsive person. I want to use these strategies. I want to put neuroscience in my teaching practice. But then when you get stressed, your brain says, don't listen to that crazy woman. Don't. You know what? You do what you've always done because no one's died. So let's just keep doing it because we don't know what she's going to say is going to work. That's straight fear talking. Yeah. And, and a lot of times when I'm working with teachers, what I have to remind myself is that there's fear there. Because if I'm asking you to change what you've always done, it, you're going to be nervous. Even when they ask those cardiology patients, the, the cardiology patients it, who were on medication, lifelong medication, they said, will you be on this medicine in a year? And 100% said, yeah, if I don't, I'll have a stroke. Do you know when they followed back up with those patients, 56% had stopped taking the medicine. And when they asked them why, the answer was, I don't know. You don't know? You really don't know because your brain is wired to prevent you from changing. Your brain will always sabotage you when you want to change. This is why a new diet, a new exercise program goes really good for about two to three weeks. And then your brain's like, no, 
<laughs> yeah. The, what, the face you made is exactly what my body says when I'm exercising. It's like, nope, no. Mm-mm. I've just started running and my body's like, what's chasing us? And I'm like, nothing. We're doing this for health. And my brain's like, nothing's chasing us? Nope. Hmm. Stop. I said, no, we, we got to get a mile. And my brain will go, let's throw in some leg pain. How about some chest pain? Oh, now I'm a crippling pain to drop you to the ground. <laughs> and your body does not want it. That's what we have to build up. The same is true mm. when we have to change our discipline strategies. And I think it was John Dewey who's credited with saying, if we teach the children of today the way we were taught yesterday and we rob them of tomorrow, right? This is a different batch of kids. And I had, I was training some teachers last week and I was hitting a lot of anger and I'm completely fine with hitting anger because at least I'm hitting some passion. If I'm just hitting apathy, I'm like, okay, I've got to drill, I've got to drill this up. But if I've got a teacher go, okay, excuse me, you are full of bull snot. And I'm not a fan. I'm like, yes, bring it. Come talk to me. (laughs) I would rather have anger because at least that tells me I'm pushing you out of your comfort zone and you don't like it because growth happens when you're uncomfortable. And she said, I've taught for 20 years. 20 years. Why should I change? Because our children have changed. Our society has changed. Now, the way the brain learns has not changed. But our technology cell phones, parent being disconnected has changed. And the pandemic was an amazing, amazing experiment that literally showed us how important humans are to other humans. We realized we could, oh, we're just going to put Miss Joy on a TV screen and let her zoom into everyone's living room from this time to this time to virtual schooling. And we realized, oh, wow, hmm. Human brains need human brains to connect. And in fact, there's some research out. It was found on accident. They were trying to measure the impact of technology on being a distraction to learning in a college classroom. Okay, this is really fascinating. What they found was they took one group of students and taught them virtually through a computer. And another group of students, they taught them face to face in the classroom. The ones that were taught face-to-face in the classrooms had a whole grade level higher score than those taught virtually. And what they deducted is that the human connection, the human brains are wired to learn together. And that's what is so important. So when you look at this immunity to change, one thing that makes it even harder to change is stress. So now we're in a collective trauma Our children need something from us we've never had to give them before. And the adults are shutting down. The adults are tired. The adults are thinking, you know, why did I become a teacher? I don't even remember. Um, But they are thinking, they are feeling this. And that is, I think, why we're seeing these explosive behaviors being bigger and bigger. It, It is a fascinating piece when you look at I do more work with adult resilience right now than I am with the kids. And, yeah. and here, we know this, right? If you can change the adult, you know, yeah. my fishbowl analogy, if you have a fish and, you, and he's in a dirty water and I can get that water cleaned up, that fish is going to get healthier. The adults are the water because of how yeah. the human brain is connected. You clean the water. You clean the adult relationship with that child, that fish is going to naturally get healthier. And that's true for 75% of the children. Now, there's another 10 to 15% that need additional strategies because they're missing some of their social skills. We know the great pandemic that we had with another great experiment is that our children need a robust set of social skills to be successful in 21st century jobs. I mean, you look at the jobs today, it literally, they call them soft skills, but literally your human skills need to be on point to navigate this world, right? It just has to be. What they found is that when we took all of our children and we put them with people who look like them and talk like them, they, they got around people with their exact same social skills, good and bad. So there's nothing wrong with being around somebody with amazing social skills 24-7 until you've got to work with someone with poor 
social skills. <laughs> then you oh, don't know it. what to do with it, right? You've never yeah. seen someone throw a shoe when they're angry. You're like, oh, what is that? <laughs> you yeah. know? So a lot of times I'm asked by principals, Joy, when does the need of one outweigh the need of the many? When do I kick him out? When do I kick her out? When She's a detriment to the learning environment. When does she go? When does he go? You know what the pandemic showed us? When does the need of one build the skills of the many? Because the only way to have a robust set of social skills as an adult is to be around a diverse set, good and bad, birth through age 18. You have got to learn to navigate what it's like to be with high and low skills. If I have high skills, I need to learn what it's like to sit next to somebody who's highly anxious and reactive so I can navigate my own feelings. And if I have low skills, I need to be around the high ones so hopefully I can develop some better ones. So what the pandemic showed us is we actually kind of all need each other. We build, we grow when we're around people who are not like us. And that is really important. I think that's what we're seeing now is we didn't get to have that diverse set. And our children nationally, they're reporting, are two years behind socially. And I've, I've got kids through the roof academics right now. Like academically, they can tell you anything you want to know, but they, they can't walk in a line. <laughs> they, they have no peer relationships. They have no relationships with adults. They can't compromise. They're hypervigilant. They're argumentative. Yes. They're, they're black and white thinking because their education has come from a computer screen or from these kind of games. And they haven't had to navigate, right, sitting next to someone and hearing how someone else is struggling. Like when you understand one plus one is two and someone sitting beside you is like, I think one plus one is three. And the teacher is helping them. Yeah. Actually building your cognitive pieces, too, because you're going, what? But you're listening you're understanding their different perspectives in the world aside from joy winchester's and that that's that empathy piece that we wow wow we are missing i, I was in a classroom the other day and a little boy accidentally kicked the little girl we're gonna say accidentally uh-huh. and and the the girl started oh she was crying and the teacher's like you're okay i said stop why are you handling it and she's like well i'm the teacher but We've got we've got an opportunity here. So I called all the kids and said, guys, we got a problem. And everyone gathered around. I said, so-and-so kicked so-and-so. What should we do? And then the first one was, we should call a doctor. Well, does she need a doctor? Let's ask her. And she's just, <laughs> you know, and I'm like, do you need a doctor? She's like, no. And then the next one offered a solution. And she's like, no. And finally, I said, maybe we should ask her. What would help you feel better? And she said, a hug from the little boy that kicked her. And he's like, from me? And she's like, yeah. And he gave her a hug and she, she's like, okay, I feel better. And I was like, well, okay. She gets up, everybody moves back through their day. It took three minutes, but we literally built a community in that moment, a community of empathy and listening to what she needed and someone who had done something wrong, the, the aggressor owned it did reparations for it, and that relationship was healed, and then they moved forward. Literally, if you just capture them every day, you can, you'll have those moments. But teachers right now are so busy that they're, they'd just rather be like, you're okay, look, look, all done, you're good, oh, hug you, okay, come on, let's go. But you miss the whole opportunity for community building in the classroom. Mm. It's for the last 10 minutes that you've been talking, I've had chill bumps. I'm like, everything she is saying is so wonderful and great. And, and I'm, I'm like, where is the book, Joy? Where's the book? We need the book. <laughs> and go back. Um, we, I, and I, again, everything you're saying is, is spot on what I'm saying. Exactly. That aggression, that not understanding why. I've had so many issues with kids being upset with other kids who didn't understand the problem. There's, you know, just that lack of patience. We see it more of that stuff. And I did actually did behavior, a behavior, um, just a common behaviors like, you know, making noises in class, how disruptive that is. 
I'm, I'm talking about rattling papers, just just common soft behavior skills that disrupt the day. So but we are seeing more of those. Let me touch on that because that comes yeah. up a lot here lately, and I find it really fascinating. Um, I've got kids who are humming mm-hmm. yeah. when they're working or yeah, when they're working. So there's some new, well, not even new, there's some research out on that, that what that's doing um, is it's creating a pattern that's actually slowing down the anxiety part of your brain, the limbic part. And then you're able to think better. They don't even realize because of the egocentric, the empathy piece that is disturbing their neighbor or their teacher. Yeah. <laughs> so, so there you'll see them. Like, what are you, man, what are you doing? Um, and it's funny because my daughter has high anxiety. And when she studies, she's, you know, straight yeah. and all that. When she studies, she listens to music. I'm like, I can't. She said, and without, look, this is how you know you raised them wrong. She said, mom, when I listen to the music, it settles my limbic brain, which opens up my frontal cortex. And that way I can keep the, the information stored. And I was like, <laughs> your you daughter, shut up. you shut up. Don't throw neuroscience at me. No, but that's what's happening. Kids in classrooms, if you think about it, when they're playing video games, when they're playing um, computer games, all those things, the sounds and the dopamine hits coming from that, are calming that system. When you give them paper and pencil, your dopamine hits aren't coming. They're they're having to be created internally and they're not able to do that right now because of our reliance on technology. So you're going to hear them do things like, and literally, and so what we've started doing is saying, hey, Marcus, when you hum, it's so loud, it disturbs everybody. Can, when you when you're too loud, you're gonna. I'm gonna say your name, and I'm just gonna do this, and I want you to try to bring it down. All we're doing at that point is called metacognition, which is making Marcus realize that oh oh oh, other people's in the world besides me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> metacog. Yeah. Let me let me check myself. Okay, okay. What can I do? All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna cross my leg and squeeze tight. There you go. Or I can you know get a fidget toy. That's why fidget toys are so popular right now even though kids don't know how to use I shouldn't say that a lot of kids don't know how to use them because they're so stinking cute parents yeah. are buying them by the gallon but no one's taught anyone why you use them how you use them you know um yeah. but that's that's that limbic brain it's charged up because the adults are charged up and and that's what you're seeing is going on um my daughter like I said has high anxiety we work out there and she, we were, we got to the gym and she goes, uh, mom, let's do the Stairmaster. And I was like, no, I'm the Stairmaster. I'd, I'd rather do anything but Stairmaster. She goes, come on, we'll do 15 minutes. And then after 15 minutes, we'll go work out. I'm like, you want me to climb stairs for 15 minutes? And she started laughing. She goes, don't you just feel so much better when you climb stairs for 15 minutes? I was like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but for her, that climb is what drops that cortisol. It's amazing. And she's just talking away like nothing's wrong. And I'm on the 19th floor. The floor, the floor, the floor. floor. Somebody to come and save me, you know? So, yeah, it's yeah. rough. <laughs> but anyways. Oh, my goodness. That, you know, we were talking about uh, what we they missed. Hello, Laura has Hi. joined us now. Uh, it's about our second grade is where they're like, we should be old enough to realize that there's other humans. So that literally was look around. Do you realize you're not really doing anything huge and big, big and bad, but all these little things are adding up to, um, a lot of time that the teacher's having to redirect because you're not the, it's not being fair to other people. Because it is like I'm the only one sitting here. Mm -hmm. One of the other things that we've noticed is the is behavior that used to be high school behavior is now middle school behavior. And middle school is now, and that happens very, now, you know, we've trended that way for years, but it like it took its big giant leap. And this end of last year, beginning of this year, I'm like, you're in what grade and you've done what? Exactly. Yeah. So is that something that you're seeing everywhere? Can you kind of talk to us about why why we may be seeing that behavior? So one of the things that I think is fascinating is 
that there is a shift since 1960s um, to 2000 um, and 10 was when the research was done from an internal locus of control, okay, to an external locus of control. And, and what that means is internal locus of control means life's going to be bad, but I got this. I got the skills. Um, y'all might know it as growth mindset. There you go. There you go. There's that's some a, that's a big buzzword for school. Big counseling. buzzword. Everyone loves them. And I do too, because it's yeah. neuroplasticity in motion. So I'm all about it. Now in 1960, the rate of growth mindset among college kids was 83% higher than it was in, compared to the college freshmen entering who uh, believed in fixed mindset. In other words, external locus of control. Why try? Why try? Now, there's a lot of reasons for that. Now, one is our access to a news cycle. So in 1960s, most families watched the news for 15 minutes on average a day. Today, we have a 24-hour news cycle that is so dangerous because the algorithm literally feeds your bias, right? So you're not even just getting the facts. Um, when I work out at the gym, there's 10 televisions, one's CNN, one's Fox, one's MSNBC. It's the same story, but there's a different, um, we call it the drama triangle, and there's not enough hours in the day, but I would love to get into that one day. But it literally is what the human brain does to create a bias, tell a story, and make sure that story comes true, okay? It's fascinating. But anyways, so with this control piece, we also have a difference in parenting. So our parents will say, do not let my children play on a merry-go-round because they may get a concussion. So we've stripped off all the crazy stuff on the playgrounds that literally the kids needed for a little bit of challenge to grow growth mindset, right? <laughs> you know, I mean, you, what is the saying? Uh, every child should make you gasp at least once a day on a playground. There you what go. that means is they're taking those challenges and they're going to be okay, but we're so afraid of lawsuits, we stripped them. We stripped that down, but what have we done? They all have these. Yeah. And these things have things on there called TikTok. And it's, I mean, there's so many challenges on here. There's so, and what that's doing is it's taking behaviors that were never seen at the middle school level, right? Bingo. Bingo. And now they're highlighting it and not only highlighting it, making it fun, digestible, and cool to be, for lack of a better word, stupid. Yeah. <laughs> and parents, God love them, I guess have said, don't put them on merry-go-round, but I'm going to give them a cell phone at eight because I'm worried about fill in the blank. Okay. Yeah. yeah. There's no way to protect them from the, because the children are very brilliant. And I've even got one family who has said that her child will never have a phone until they're 15. Child has their own TikTok account and she found yeah. out because they used a phone at school and was watching TikTok at school. So what used to be kept at the high school level is now glamorized at the middle school and down. Yeah. And yeah. that's what you're seeing. When you have, I'm telling you, you said second, third grade, that's when the brain shifts from the adult being to the most important person in the world to now peers being most important. And here's what's even scarier. See, I need, I need to stop reading because y'all are going to be like, we just need to go home. Here's what's even scarier. I could do that. The, they used to say kindergarten children were not afraid of making mistakes. Like they, they weren't afraid. You didn't really see the fear of your peers making fun of you until third grade. Now we've got five-year-olds afraid of having the wrong answer because mm -hmm. they're afraid not of being in trouble, but what their peers think. Why are we shifting? Because if the adult should be the most important person developmentally in that child's life until about eight, nine, ten, right? Then the peers take over. When the peers take over, we got a problem. <laughs> it's a lot harder. And so that's what you're seeing with these social media platforms is the peers are taking over. And because the blue light gives you a dopamine hit and drops your serotonin so you can stay up all night watching it and you're not even tired till the next day because the blue light says drop serotonin you don't need to relax just keep scrolling and i'm addicted if i put something on there to how many times i get a heart or a like yeah 
That's dopamine, dopamine, dopamine. We've got little dopamine addicts. And that's why you're seeing the, the, the more risky behaviors being pushed down because it's the only way to get a bigger hit is to do more and more riskier things. Mm, mm. It's tough. It is tough. And it's really tough to com- combat. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am K-8, so I have pre-K. I am pre-K through 8. So I am from here to there. Yep. Um, but I'm looking at my room and I, I, I'm tickled looking at it. That's the southern thing that we say we're tickled. Tickled. You know, we're tickled when we're really not laughing. It's just odd, but odd that I'm looking up and I'm seeing that I have ordered a sensory boat that squeezes the kid into the boat. I have ordered the sensory swing that swings the child. I have made a sensory feely board and I have ordered. I don't know how many lap boards this is. I mean, it's like, this is a new day and you don't even realize as you were talking, I looked up, I'm like, I've got all this stuff coming up. And I mean, I I could order more seats for kids to move around in almost. And and this, that kind of leads me into my next point. It's almost like, do most of the students, I, I'm thinking, you know, to myself, do most of the students in this room have ADHD? Because mm-hmm. it's the things that you see with students that, that ADHD, like they real. so a lot of times they, the discipline, like that's, that discipline's not going to work with this student that has that ADHD. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, do all of them have ADHD? It's like I'm talking and they're not grasping. Mm-hmm. The discipline's not working. Mm-hmm. It's hard for administrators to administer discipline because eh, they don't seem to that doesn't seem to matter so um can you speak to that what, what is happening that makes most of these students seem or are they ADHD or have we increased in that so what's interesting that study with the college students showed that the same trend existed in children that they also have a fixed mindset and a fixed mindset will actually lead to higher levels of anxiety, depression, rates of suicide. We all know this. A fixed mindset's a pretty um, tough thing, but you can fix it. What's interesting is anxiety in children under the age of eight looks just like ADHD. And so remember, ADHD is an um, issue with your executive functioning skills. If you're not connected to an adult who has the executive functioning skills formally in place, you, you will not learn them. And what we have happening right now is when a child gets angry at home or when a child is upset, they might be disciplined. They might lose their technology. They might be sent to their room, you know, like they used to be. But they, when they get back with their technology, and I hate to keep blaming technology, but when they get back to that technology, they're not, no one's sitting and working with them through the strategies to say, when you're angry, do this. It's socially acceptable, basically. That's what parenting is, right? <laughs> look, you can be mad, but you can't act like a fool. Yeah. You know, I, look, I know you don't want to do your homework, but you're going to have to do your homework. In all fairness, they don't want to do their homework because they are so starved for that dopamine. They're not, the reason you got all the sensory stuff They're not playing. They're not running. They're not just having wide open, stupid time that we all did. They are literally, if they are out running, they're in structured sports. I'm not against sports. Do not call Kay Ivy the governor. I'm not saying sports are bad. Sports are phenomenal. Good good for you. What I am saying is, is there needs to be a balance. Yeah. There needs to be a balance where these kids are outdoors having just fun, where they're playing, where they're allowed to make mistakes, mm-hmm. where they're allowed to take risk. And because right now, taking a, making a failure, having a failure, I should say, is, is, is seen as a threat. And that should never be when you're learning. You should, you know, I tell my team, I have a team of 60 coaches. I tell them, I would rather us fail than never try anything new and stay stagnant. So let's just try it. Let's just see what's going to happen. If you see something out there, send it my way. Let's try it. And, and that is what we've got to do. We call it failing forward, right? Is you, Sometimes you fail and you learn more about yourself yeah. than if you didn't do anything. Our kids don't do that. Like they don't. And the more time kids and adults spend on cell phones and technology, there is actual data now that shows the gray matter starts to decrease. 
Well, when you start to decrease the gray matter, now you're starting to take away room for where I can even build new skills, right? Because yeah. the brain says, ah, we don't need to interact with other people. Hmm. Movement builds cells in the hippocampus, which is what you need for learning. Yet our children are sitting still learning and they're not yeah. moving. <laughs> so you yeah. they've got to move. We call it move the brain, move the body to move the brain is what I tell teachers. You got to move these kids. In fact, there's some um, psychologists right now who your therapy session is walking around a lake. Isn't that cool? Um, while you're talking, because they can get more out of people when you're moving than when you're sitting. I just yeah. got an article from a teacher and I was reading it before we got on here. And um, the, the first two pages of the research were mind blowing, but it was literally about how awe, being in awe can inspire pro-social behavior. How many times are our kids in awe? Yeah. Like, how many times are they really in awe, like something in nature or something higher or something? How many times are we as humans in awe? We've become so numb to anything that we're just like, eh, it's a sunset. Eh, it's a sunrise. Eh, it's a tree. <laughs> right. Yeah. And and that's one thing I think um, I've had a really big life change with, with my diagnosis and then with losing my father. I, I told my mom, I said, this is probably the most beautiful fall I've ever seen. You know, I don't remember how pretty fall was because when you start to lose a family member, you realize yeah, beautiful fall. The yellows were yellower. The reds were redder. You don't know how many falls you have. And I know that sounds so, you know, dramatic. No. But it's one of those pieces that awe creates this kind of humility. And I think yeah. that's what we're see not seeing either. But it, um, they've got to move. And, and let me say this about technology, because gosh knows we're on technology now. So I can't be a hypocrite. Um, if your children wanted to eat a hamburger, Every single meal, every single day, would you let them do it? No, it's not healthy. If your children wanted to eat broccoli, every single meal, every single day, would you do it? Well, no, broccoli's healthy in moderation, right? Hamburgers are okay in moderation. Technology is the same thing. When you give them an iPad, that's fine. They could be having something better. But you know in your mind, okay, I'm going to let them have their hamburger, but for dessert, they're going to have an apple. Does that make sense? Because they need the nutrients. So you're going to have your iPad, but then we're going to go to the park, or then we're going to do X, Y, and Z, a board game, yeah, something that involves social interaction with the family and moving the body. That's what's going to build the hippocampus. And, you know, this speaks, Laura, to what we were talking about. We're really, our 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 thing that we're looking into and talking to, to about and 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 really starting to 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 look into is is really getting the school counseling to look different and and there are different people who are doing great things like using nature yes um, and just being more creative with with because uh, this is a spot we're in that we can and what you're saying makes it even more important and speaking to that awe inspiring moments, the, I, I was thinking when you were talking, most of my awe-inspiring moments, sometimes it's another person who's pointing it out to me. And an adult, my parents made certain things awe-inspiring so that I wouldn't forget them. And so as adults, that's something that we could certainly. Yes. And sometimes we have to get out of this box to yep. do it. And I think as school counselors, we have more opportunity to do things more creatively uh, than, than maybe others are able to because they've pushing tests down their throats or whatever. And the um, human brain, and you know, real quick, the human brain is not designed to look for beauty. It's designed to look for threat. Um, well, this is why if you're driving down the highway and there's a beautiful sunset, you're like, oh, sunset. But if there's driving by a car accident where there's an ambulance and smoke, you will actually slow down and look. You will wow. always spend more time looking at the negative than the positive because the human brain is designed to keep you alive, survival oriented. It is not designed to think big thoughts. That comes once you're connected and once you're safe, right? And then once those two pieces are settled, then the brain's like, hmm, okay, let's think some big thoughts. But before that time, 
you are automatically wired to always look for danger. You're automatically wired to always look for the negative. It's actually why we, um, when I'm working with teachers with behaviors, I'll, they'll say, well, what, what strategy do I put in first? Five high fives a day. What? Eye contact, touch, playful, present. That's going to light up the dopamine receptors. Anytime you see that child doing something that good, you're going to be like, hey, high five, you did it. Eye contact, touch, playful, present. I just want you to aim for five a day. Why? Because I need that child to start being connected to you. So everything negative you say, I need there to be five. And actually, Gottman Institute says, even in our marriages, even in our friendships, for every one negative you say, you need five positives to take away the harm that that one negative does. Mm. And so when a lot of times when I'm working with teachers, we might give a strategy or two, but the one I always leave is you look for five positive things, especially if, because what is it our ADHD kids here on average, 60% more negative comments. I have to look for that statistic, right? They don't have a lot of that positive connection, that positive reinforcement. So how do we convince our teachers to do it? And, and if I tell them, listen, I'm not asking you to do this because it's going to make him feel good. <laughs> it will. Yeah. I'm asking yeah. him you to do this because you're going to get a dopamine hit. That's going to make that child connect to you. This is like when we see our best friend coming, right? And we're yeah. like, oh. remember, this is the heifer story, right? Yeah. It's like, Kim, Joy, hi. We hug, eye contact, touch, playful, present. It's natural human brain. Now, if I saw Kim and I'm like, Kim, and she's like, hey, I got to go to a meeting. Call me later. Heifer. Because I want yeah. eye contact, touch, playful, present. Now, what do we do with our children? Miss Joy, Miss Joy, look what I got from home. Put that up. Put that up. Show me later. Right now, get out your writing journal. You got your writing prompts. I got to do attendance. So get your stuff out. Heifer. Because what that kid needs is eye contact, touch, playful, present. And it can look like this. Miss Joy, Miss Joy, look what I brought from home. <gasps> Let me see. Let me see. I'm going to look at it for five seconds because we got a lot going on. Show me. And then you're going to show me later when we got more time. Deal? Let's go. Five seconds. Five seconds. And you literally have given that child what they need. You've given a plan to follow up on, and now you can get on with your day. Mm, it's just so about it, putting those connections first. So powerful. You have punched so much into this time, and <laughs> it's so much. It's like I took the notes from the last time I heard you, and now when you spoke to uh, our faculty, and now I'm going to go back, and I'm going to listen to this again because there's so much. But I seriously, I'm not kidding when I say I need your book. I need your book. I need more joy. So are you still doing edu higher education? You were doing something with uh, where? Yeah. So anytime we do, um, like when colleges are doing like their uh, students coming out to start practicums, mm -hmm. um, I'll come and do some classes with them to get them ready because bless them. Just bless them. Their little EF skills are still developing until the age of 25 plus or minus. Absolutely. Absolutely. Goodness uh, yeah. gracious. And that's a whole nother. That's a whole teacher prep program. But now I, I, you were actually doing some doctorate work, were you not? Oh, yes, yes. I'm working with John Hopkins on um, mind brain teaching. Just uh, a little thing like John Hopkins, no big deal. Uh, it's, it's, um, you know, and, and I can't believe I'm saying this. I, I started at University of Alabama in Edinburgh, and they have a fabulous education neuroscience program, but the classes just didn't work with my schedule. Yeah. Um, but, um, at the time I was there, short time, comparing it to the time at Johns Hopkins, I have to admit, uh, the University of Alabama was a lot more uh, robust and in depth and probably ground uh, like on the edge. Um, so I'm actually that's exciting. You don't hear that in Alabama. It is. I'm much, actually thinking that makes about me happy. Alabama on the edge. That's that's that doesn't happen a lot. So that's oh, yes. They've got a great ed neuro program out there. So I'm actually kind of thinking about finishing up these last uh, couple of classes and then kicking back. Uh, hopefully, the yeah. CUA would take me back because I, I really think it was also good to have network connections in Alabama. Yeah, I'm talking with teachers who are here and all that, but they 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 actually had a really good. Um, program so That's yeah is that a pretty uh uh is that field I guess 
growing the neuroscience or is it there's a need? Where's the career thing there for you guys for the neuroscience? You know, I'm usually the only practitioner. So there's a okay. lot of researchers, but most people, there are, there's not a lot of practitioners and practitioners meaning, you know, I, I can, I have, I've been spit on. I've been a chair thrower. You, you yeah, you're in the trenches. You're yeah. actually there. I got yeah. you. So that way, when you're in these classes and someone's like, well, when the hippocampus fires, I'm like, let me just tell you all something about the hippocampus because the feet are coming next. You know, yeah. <laughs> um, I've been there. I've, I've lived it. Yeah. So I think that's the piece. I definitely I will say this. Anytime I do speak, people come up to me. And will ask me, okay, how did you get to where you are? And I'm like, God has a sense of humor. Um, that That's how I got to where I am. But it, it's one of those fascinating fields that I think is growing. Um, I love Dr. Michael Thomas out of the UK. He's uh, got a brand new book out uh, called Neuroscience for Educators. Um, he just wrote one three years ago called Educational Neuroscience. That was fascinating. But one thing he talks about is the same way that science influenced medicine, right? Yeah. Education is different in that it's kind of rooted in society. Yes. That's crazy because learning is biological. Yes. Yeah. So the same way science should, Im- should impact medicine, and I am a firm believer in that because I'm here today because of it, then ed neuro should impact Learning, because learning is a biological function. Your brain literally changes structures when you learn something. Yeah. So why are we not letting ed neuro drive our ed system? Instead, our ed system lives in a society-driven model. And yeah. ed neuro is kind of on the outside going, hey. Well, let, <laughs> hey, let, me, just, how the brain works. let <laughs> me just say about that. Hey, I think we're now to the point where we're going, uh-oh, we're going to have to some help because this isn't working anymore. I mean, the, the, the brain, what we are seeing and, and what we're talking about and what we've been talking about this last hour with you and what the, the subject on edu- on all educators is what the heck has happened. Right. And so I think we're having to bring more. That's why you were so needed with the faculty because we just, it's just hard to understand what worked yeah. is not working anymore. And uh, these kids in kindergarten are argumentative and oh, yeah. we've never seen that before. I mean, that, and we're like, how old is he? Yeah. So there's a lot of things to what you're, I'm excited. I'm going to check that book out. I think you shared that before and I lost the name of it. So now I have it because I, I think that if we understood how the brain works better, you know, we, we dabble, we've always dabbled in that in education, but I think now since we've seen such a big change in uh, education and, and behavior and mental health that looking more at the neuroscience of is exciting. I'm so glad that you're doing that. And you are probably going to be the first person to ever be on three times because I could talk to you and talk to you and talk to you. You're one of my favorite people to hear. You're oh, so okay. knowledgeable. You're the real deal. Your passion like literally is palatable. I mean, I can feel it coming through the computer, your, your passion for what you do. Um, what'd you call it? Your occupation? Is that what you call it? Yes, that's, that's it. You can feel it. It's so great, but thank you. We have kept you over an hour and I have a private question, so I'm not going to let you go. Laura, did you, you weren't here with us. Thank heavens is all I can say. I had her all to myself. Well, I can't wait to go back and listen to this because just the minutes that I was in here, um, Joy, you're the smartest person I know. Oh no. <laughs> like I could sit and listen, everything that comes out of your mouth is genius and such an eye opener. And it's like a, of course, of course, that's the way it is. Yeah, she's, Laura, she's, she's smart in common sense. That's yeah. the combo. That's the combo that sometimes rare. is missing. Yeah. It's very rare. Not a lot of people yeah. have that combination. So, yeah. man, okay. I wish we lived closer. The damage the three of us could do together. She's not that far. It's true. That's right. Joy, but she's very busy. Joy, thank, thank you. you so much. We appreciate you for coming on and you are awesome. And I, we will uh, look forward to continuing this conversation at some point. I think she's just a regular. I'm sorry. She's just going to be a regular. Wow. Laura, that was amazing. 
Was and, it? Uh, well, let's address the elephant that was not in the room. And that was you. I don't know where, how rude could you be? I know. What were you, please tell me it was something very important. Well, Kim, you know, we record these after school a lot of times. Yes. If you are still a working counselor, like if you're still, if you're a school counselor, then you know that the day does not end with the last bell. And so we plan. Oh, mine does. (laughs) (laughs) The bell's not even finished. And the car is cranked. Well, sometimes things happen beyond our that day. That's true. That's and true. Today was one of those days where I mean, it was not one incident; it was multiple incidents where I thought, "Okay, once I get this fixed, then I can jump on the call." But then here pops another one. It's like whack a mole this afternoon. It was like you were like a whack a mole. You kept popping up, and I thought, "If you just stay away, we'll finish this." whole yeah. thing. Joy is amazing. She's amazing. She's amazing. She's like one of those people that there's no pulling anything out. She is, she opens her mouth and out pulls forth all of this knowledge and passion and ideas. And you can tell she just loves to learn and, and has so many, I, I love the way she's thinking. And she's so true because I've been in education since I was you know, went 17 in college, I started this whole journey in education. She's, she's so right in that we very, we, we only look a little bit at how the brain learns and how the neuroscience of this. And so to get her, um, to get her perspective on what is happening with our students today was, is, is always enlightening. She did so much for the faculty to hear. Um, We took, everything that she said and you know just it was just what we needed to get to get going for a school year but you have missed some of it so you're going to get to listen to it and it's I'm excited for that I'm very excited and yeah. she is just a treasure in the state of Alabama she is we're so fortunate to have her I think she's a very well-kept secret well that's how treasures are that's true nobody knows about me nobody I'm a buried treasure. <laughs> so um, enjoy. She'll go speak places, like not just where we are, but she'll go around and speak. Well, I know she speaks in the state of Alabama. I'll, it would be, it behoove you to see if she would come. It would be it, worth every bit of it to get her to come. Hear her speak. She's really such a great speaker. If you're looking for a great speaker, she will never fail. She's one of those that just, is such not only does she know this stuff but she can tell it in such a way that you're laughing crying you're entertained you're taking it in she's just that kind of kind of like you are laura oh well that is the highest compliment you ever could have paid to joy i didn't say uh, absolutely joy <laughs> did not have a clue she was ranked with you well i have got a little boy that's wanting his supper laura so you best tell everybody to like it like it like us on Facebook or don't like us, like us and then unlike us. We like me, but don't like Laura. Me, whatever. You can follow us on Instagram. You can rate and review this podcast because it helps other people find us. Or you can help us stay a buried treasure. That's fine too. Or what else? What, there's one more thing. I don't know. You, the time has changed. I'm sitting here in the dark. And it's that's practically 2 a.m. So I know I can't do this time change. All right. Till till we meet again. Subscribe. That's it. Subscribe. Oh, good. <laughs>